All right, so perhaps this week you had a chance to actually read through the, um, the introduction, but again, the, the idea behind the study that we're doing this semester is we really want you to understand better the, uh, the power, the authority, the compassion, and the grace of Jesus. Uh, when we look at the Gospels and we see these personal interactions with people uh, that Jesus met, we see so often uh, folks walking away changed forever, and sometimes even unchanged uh, by rejecting Christ. And so we want to look at some of these uh, throughout the, the course of this year. There's far more than 20 of these in the Gospel of Luke, but we really tried to pinpoint 20 of the most uh, memorable and meaningful encounters that really draw us closer into the heart of who Jesus is so that you personally would also know what it is to encounter him and his grace and his mercy and his love and his power. And so we're going to look at that more this year as we go through this series. And I'm excited to jump into it uh, with you tonight as we kick it off from our first week where we look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. A uh, very interesting passage, uh, but one that I think is actually very appropriate as we kick off our new series tonight. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump right in. So would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the privilege that we have each and every year around this time to just get away from the distractions of school and sports and um, some of the things that are so easily competing for our minds and our affections and our attention. And I would just pray that in the next hour that we have to, to study this together, to process uh, your word together, that you would give us clarity of thought, that you would... Help us to truly humble ourselves, to know that we're here for the right reasons, to truly desire, Lord, to, to draw closer to you, to not just be here because we're here for the, the friendships and for the games. And those are great things, but Lord, ultimately, we want to, to know you more. And so I pray that in the next hour here, you would help answer that prayer, that you would make Jesus more clear and more real to our students than maybe you ever have before. Um, pray for your favor now as we, we jump into this study. Help us to see the power of Christ on display and for him to be uh, displayed as more beautiful and wonderful than maybe we've ever imagined before. So we ask for your favor now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to jump into things uh, for tonight. What I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to read uh, the passage, and then uh, I'm going to walk us back through kind of the questions that were you were meant to do on your own throughout the week. We're not going to do that every single week, but as we kind of get into the study and realize like how to do this on our own, I want you to be drawn into that process. And then as we go throughout the year, we won't necessarily keep doing that, but hopefully that will be insightful as you're just trying to figure out what am I, what am I doing to try to study this on my own 
uh, as I come into the week. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we do uh, kind of have a, a tradition around here that whenever we read from God's word directly, uh, we like to stand because of its honor and its, its uh, reverence. And so we're going to stand and read that together from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 in our week one of our study here. So picking up in verse 1 here, Luke chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to, the Jerus- to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Until an opportune time. Go have have a seat. So, again, the point of these study guides that you have before you that hopefully you uh, will work on is just to be able to uh, really learn how to study the Bible on your own. So when we come to our times together, we're really being able to process what we have learned together. And so what I want to do tonight is just kind of go back through some of those uh, observe questions that are on the, the second page of your study guide. So you have the, the text on the one side, and on the other side you have this observe section where we're asking you to kind of answer four uh, primary questions to help you better understand what is going on in uh, this story. Uh, so in this one, we are looking at uh, Luke uh, 4, verses 1 through 13. And notice the first question on here is, who are the people that are involved in this story? Well, there's pretty much two primary people in this story. We have Jesus and who else? And the devil, right? And Satan, right? So devil, Satan, you can say either one of those. All right? So as you look through this story, um, there is some description about what's happening with both these individuals. So uh, perhaps in your study this week, you came across something like this, right? So who are the people in this? you got Jesus. Jesus is described as being full of the Holy Spirit. He's described as having returned from the Jordan. He uh, ate nothing for 40 days and was hungry. He was tempted multiple times and resisted that temptation. Uh, the devil, on the other hand, he was the, he's the tempter here. He has some level of authority according to the second temptation. And at the end, he was, uh, he was defeated. He departed from Jesus, all right? So as you're going through, this is kind of some of the stuff that you're going to be doing on your own. Hopefully you did. Hopefully these kind of line up with some of the things. They're very basic, but they're in the story there. So as you go throughout your time this whole year, these are some of the things of how you're drawing out observations from the passage. The second question was, 
describe the situation. What's the problem or the opportunity being presented here? So, what's the problem in this story? Feel free. We're going to be a little interactive here tonight. So, what's the problem in it? What's that? Satan is tempting Jesus. So, we could say something like this, right? So, the situation, Jesus is on a Holy Spirit-directed mission in the wilderness, and after 40 days of fasting, the devil presents Jesus with multiple opportunities to remove the suffering. Because really, the, the, answer, the question is, like, why is he, why is he tempting Jesus, right? So, there is a, that is the problem, for sure, but we're even asking ourselves, well, what is it that he's tempting Jesus with? Well... All of these are opportunities to ease his suffering, right? Present him with the opportunity for bread. Present him with the opportunity to, to rule and have extra power. Uh, so all these different ways for him to cast himself off of the, uh, the temple and for God's angels to, to deliver him. All of these are, are attempts to get Jesus to remove his suffering. So how does Jesus respond? As Jesus responds in the story. From the Old Testament. From the Old Testament. In what way? What do you, what do you mean by that? Like, all that he ever said is story Old Testament stories. Yeah, absolutely. He, he responds with every, to every temptation uh, with some level of rebuke from the Old Testament in particular. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy. So we see Jesus resists each temptation by responding and God directed obedience. His responses to the devil always come directly from the book of Deuteronomy. So we see him responding, so he resists every temptation, and he does so not just by saying no, but by having some God-honoring motivation that's coming from obedience uh, to that. So, what's the outcome? What is the outcome of this encounter? What change any takes place in the story. What's the outcome of it? What do you think? I'll give you a hint. It's in the very last verse. What's the outcome? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, he, he drops the hammer with his final response. And the devil walks away. We can say this, the devil departs after having been defeated. Right? Game over. Jesus wins this round. And so, the whole point behind doing this exercise is just taking 15 to 20 minutes to really look at the passage, to study it, to answer these questions. The point is then to come up with some type of main points for this passage. And you'll notice that we give you kind of a, a starting prompt to help you with this, right? The idea is that you're, to every time you look at one of these passages, to really finish the sentence at the bottom of the page, it says, this encounter teaches me that Jesus blank. And again, I don't expect everybody to have the same answer, right? The point is not that you have the right the right answer or the answer that I'm going to put up on the screen, but it's so that you you learn how to develop this skill yourself. So, does anybody have some main points that you wanna, you're willing to share from your time of study this uh, this past week? So, this encounter teaches me that Jesus what? Yeah. He knows and what? 
knows and applies the Bible. I like it. Yeah, what else? Wow, I like that. Uh, what was the What was the very first part? He doesn't get into temptation. That's really important. What was the second half? Yeah, he knows his father's words and he's ready. I love it. What else? Anybody else want to share theirs? You obviously don't have to, but I love it when we interact and we 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 learn this together. So, one of the things that as I was looking at this and studying and prepping for tonight. And thinking about this passage in the large scheme of the scriptures, I came up with kind of one main point that's said in maybe three different ways. If you want to do a past, present, or a future kind of aspect of it, it looks something maybe like this. This encounter teaches me that Jesus, you could say, came to defeat the power of the devil. That Jesus alone is able to overcome the power of Satan. Or you could even say it in the futuristic standpoint. Right? That Jesus will be victorious over the schemes of Satan. So all these ideas here capture this idea that Jesus has come to defeat the power of Satan. So let's look at that together. We're going to walk back through the story. And I'm going to just try to give you a little bit more detail behind it as you process everything that you've learned and as you solidify this idea that we're talking about here tonight. So let's look back at the story again. So Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 1 and 2. Uh, you're going to notice that in this story, uh, we're kind of jumping in four chapters into the book of Luke. A lot has happened. The opening two chapters of Luke, uh, we have Jesus being born. Uh, probably the longest of all the narratives about Jesus being born. Uh, chapter 3, you have him... Uh, kind of coming onto the scene, John the Baptist preparing the way for him and his ministry. And then you're going to notice in verse 1 here, notice that it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Anybody know what was he doing at the Jordan? The Jordan River, by the way, in case that's not clear, when it says the Jordan, it's referring to the Jordan River. What happened in the Jordan River? Does anybody know? Yes, Adrian. Yeah, he, got, he, he just got baptized. And at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And that Holy Spirit descending upon him, filling him, is in many ways a, a coronation. It's basically a commissioning of Jesus now to prepare for his true ministry, his public ministry to the world. Because for this, up to this point, it's been 30 plus years that he's been on this earth. And really, all he's been doing, according to Luke chapter 2, is living just obediently in submission to his parents and growing in grace and knowledge. That's what Jesus is doing for 30 years, is just growing in grace and knowledge. The Bible doesn't have much to say about him, much up to this point. Now is finally his commissioning to go and to begin his public ministry to the world. And so, the very first mission... That the Holy Spirit directs Jesus to do is to go into the wilderness. To go out away from the hustle and bustle and all the busyness and to be by himself. To be in seclusion. Now, it's kind of interesting here. When you hear that term wilderness, what comes to mind? When you think about the big picture of the Bible, for those of you who know maybe... 
uh, have grown up in church. When, you, when, you, when I say the term wilderness, what maybe comes to your mind? What does that maybe bring pictures of? Yeah, think. Absolutely. The Israelites in Egypt. If you go all the way back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, that's the second book of the Bible. Most of you are maybe familiar with the story of the Exodus of Moses leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt and onto the promised land. But they spent 40 years, because of their disobedience, they couldn't go in right away. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And here we now have Jesus being called by the Holy Spirit to not just begin his public ministry by going super public, but instead going out into the secluded wilderness. And notice it says for 40 days, for 40 days, that also kind of brings some imagery to mind of Moses. Moses, when he received God's law, was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And also during that time, he ate nothing. He fasted for 40 days. In other words, this is starting to draw some parallels here between Jesus and some other key godly leaders in Scripture. And even this wilderness idea kind of points us, we'll talk a little bit more about it here soon, to the very first man in all of creation, Adam, who was in the wilderness with wild animals as well. So we'll talk more about that here, but notice here, this is, this is big. 40, 40 days he is, he is fasting, he is doing uh, all these things, and really it's starting to set the tone that Jesus is this better Moses, that he is this better Adam, that he is this better almost Elijah-type character. And that it, this, I, this parallel, especially, I want to go back to it real quick, of him almost being a better Adam. If we think about it for a moment, what was... Adam was the very first man in all the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. We get to Genesis chapter 3. What was Adam's problem? You remember? What was Adam's problem? Temptation. What's that? Temptation. Temptation. By who? By what? Satan. By Satan. Isn't that interesting? Because what's going to happen after 40 days in the wilderness? Satan. Satan comes along in verse 2 there. He's being tempted by the devil. So we move on to verses 3 through 4 here. And so this temptation that Satan is bringing before him, it's really interesting. Uh, because he's going to three times. Now it makes it clear that maybe the way that this is going out, there might have been more than three temptations. But it really focuses in on three temptations here. And I like that. When I say this, one commentator brought up the idea here that, you know, almost every temptation that you face in life is similar to what 1 John calls kind of the, the three main things, which are the lust of the eyes. When I say lust, we just mean desire, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And guess what? Every single one of these temptations hits on one of those different things. So let's look at them real quick. Number one, the first temptation in verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. This is what we would maybe call the lust of the 
flesh. I mean, after all, Jesus is hungry, right? I mean, I especially like in this story that says after 40 days he was hungry because some of you were like, man, after 40 minutes I'm hungry, right? Like, I just finished my snack from the cafe and I'm ready for, like, to get to my small group room where I know there's a big bucket of candy waiting for me because I'm hungry. After 40 days he was hungry. And I think the idea here is that he was probably hungry before that. Um, but, like, he's, he's really hungry. Right, that he's really hungry at this point. This stresses again the fact that Jesus is not just God, but Jesus is man. He is the perfect God-man, and yet the lust of the flesh really appeals to the fact that you are more concerned for the physical than the spiritual. And so Satan comes along and says, "Listen, man, if you're the son of God, and when he says if, it's not like a question of I don't know if you are, or maybe you are, maybe you're not. He knows he is. It's not a." If, as if he's curious, it's an if he's saying, like, since, since you're the son of God, look, you're, you're all powerful. You can take this very stone right here and you can turn it into the best bread ever, right? Better than anything you get over a great harvest, right? This, this, is, this is delicious. And what he's trying to get Jesus to do here is to really not trust. Not trusting God's goodness, not trusting God's provision, and in many ways to forsake what God has called him to do, which is uh, to lay aside many of the aspects of his God nature, right? In Philippians chapter 2, it says that uh, Christ really veiled a lot of his, his deity, of his, his God nature, and he's saying, listen, you can set that aside, you can do whatever you want, go ahead and do it. And Jesus responds... With a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which you'll see down there in your study helps, which really comes back to the heart of trusting and obeying God. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, this, it's, this is not just about bread. This is not just about satisfying my, my wants and my desires. This is about obedience and trust in God. In many ways, the Israelites, that was their big struggle in the wilderness, was to trust and to obey. And Jesus says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust my Heavenly Father. I'm not going to give in to this. I'm, just because I can doesn't mean that I should. He's more concerned with the spiritual than he is the physical. So, strike one. It doesn't work for Satan. You know what? That's okay. Satan's got other, he's got other schemes. He can do other things. So, he moves on then in verses 5 through 8 to the second temptation. Uh, notice here, the second temptation. Uh, devil, it says, takes him in verse 5 took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, I don't know what kind of power this is, but this is interesting here, right? All the kingdoms of the world, he was able to show them at that time. Show them everything. And he said to him, Jesus, to you, I wouldn't do this for anybody, right? This is like the salesman pitch, right? I wouldn't just give you anybody this offer, but to you, listen, I'll let you have it all. I'll let you have all the authority. I'll let you have all this, all this power, all their glory, because it's been delivered over to me, and I give it to whoever I want to. All, all you have to do, one small down payment, you just, you just got to bow down to me. just got to worship me. You do that, all of this is yours. This is the lust of the eyes, Right? Look at, look at all that you could have. Look at all that is waiting for you. 
This is to worship the creation rather than the creator. It's interesting here because some of you might have wondered as you were studying this here, how does Satan have this type of power and authority, right? Doesn't this belong to God? Isn't this God's world? And yes, there is a very real fact that this this is God's world. And yet, for a time, Satan exercises a certain level of power and influence and dominion. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness and disobedience, who's at work in the hearts of sinful mankind. And so there is a level of, of influence and power that is given to him that he's saying, listen, Jesus, I can, I, can, I can take this all away. I can take all this pain and suffering away. I can give you the crown that you desire. Now, if any of you were in Sunday school a few weeks ago when we were talking from Mark chapter 8, you remember when uh, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, what? Satan? It's because Peter was saying, listen, Jesus, if you're truly the Christ, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to go through all this pain and suffering. That's not what the Christ is supposed to do. In other words, you can have the crown. You can rule without the cross without pain and suffering. And this goes all the way back to Satan's very temptation here. You can have it all without having to do any of the hard work. But Jesus responds to him by saying, from Deuteronomy 6, 13, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve, right? And this should be obvious to us, right? don't worship Satan. We worship God. God is the one who is truly the one worthy of our affection, worthy of our worship. In fact, this citation from Deuteronomy 6.13 is in the context of the fact that God had delivered the Israelites. He is the one who is their savior, their deliverer. He is the one who done all these great things for them. Why would they serve and worship somebody else? Nobody else is worthy of their worship and their affection like Christ is, like God is. So, strike two. Doesn't work. You know what, Satan? He's got one more scheme up his, up his sleeve. Takes him all the way, in verse nine, took him all the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, beautiful city, had a beautiful temple. Takes him all the way to the top of the temple, to the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, listen, if you are the son of God, again, not a question of if, it's a question of since. Since you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Listen, if you are God's son, God is not going to let you die. The, the pinnacle of this temple here with the, the steep cliffs that were off the side of uh, Israel at this time, you would have been looking at some drop of some maybe 450 feet. That's a, that's a tall drop, right? So this is not just a, like, you know, a couple stories you may or may not be all right. Like, you will die. You will die. He's saying, listen, if you're the son of God, God won't let you die. He'll, he'll call, and notice, this is interesting here. This is the first time Satan actually uses scripture. He actually quotes from the Psalms. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. In other words, Jesus, it's okay. Scripture says that God will take care of you. And this is where we have to remind ourselves that, yeah, Satan knows God's word. But from the very beginning, even with Adam, what does he like to do with God's word? He likes to twist it. 
Just enough that it sounds maybe accurate, but it was actually incredibly dangerous. What did you do with Adam? Has, has God really said that you can't eat of any fruit? Has God really said, is it, it really kind of sounds like God might be withholding from you. Jesus sees through this. Jesus knows Satan's games. He's, he, is, he is beyond Satan. He is beyond his time. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 16, that it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is, again, the boastful pride of life, this temptation saying that you're the son of God. You have people who will, who will take care of you. And Jesus says, listen, this, this passage that you just quoted to me from the Psalms, it's not about tempting God. It's about trusting God. It's about trusting God. God will provide. Do not put him to the test. Strike one, strike two, strike three. Game over. You're out. Game, set, match. Satan cannot stand against Jesus here. This round goes to Jesus. And I say this round because Satan's not done. Notice it says he will depart until an opportune time. I think that opportune time is most likely towards the end of Jesus' life when he's praying in the garden and is really trying to sway Jesus from going to the cross. But here's the thing, student. As you look at this and you see that final line that it says, the devil departed from Jesus. You ask yourself, why in the world this encounter? Why in the world is this what we're starting with as we begin this year together? In many ways, this story is put here is a giant spoiler alert. If you guys know what spoiler alerts are with like movies or with books, something that will give you the information if you haven't read it yet, you're like, oh no, this ruins the end of it. I, now, I, now I know what's going to happen. Well, guess what? God loves for you to know what's going to happen. God is not concerned that you know the end. In fact, he wants you to know the end. And what he wants you to know tonight and what he wants you to know for the future, not just for now, but for eternity future, is that God wins. That Jesus beats Satan. That he is the one who is victorious over Satan. That Satan's influence on this dark world that we live in today is only temporary. That it will not be forever and that Jesus will come and he will crush the power of Satan. In fact, Genesis 3.15, there was a prophecy that was made at the very beginning when mankind fell into sin. God promised the serpent in the, uh, in the garden, Satan himself, says, one day I'm going to send a deliverer and he is going to crush your head. This encounter here is the first picture of that reality. And it reminds us, students, it reminds us that Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. And there is no temptation that Jesus cannot overcome. In fact, the scriptures say that he was tempted in all ways as we were, but without sin. And because of that... Because he experienced the fullness of that temptation and he withheld and he went to the cross and he died, he paid for your sins. And as such, he has defeated the power of death, he has defeated the power of sin, 
And guess what? He has certainly defeated the power of Satan. So when you see this evil world and you look at it and you see that it, it feels like evil is winning, go back to this and be reminded that Jesus wins in the end. Let's pray and get you guys to your groups. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for this uh, just opening opportunity to really get into this study together. And thank you for the reminder of the power and the glorious nature of Christ. That he was tempted in all ways as we are, but he was without sin. And as such, he is the one who has come to conquer sin, conquer death and conquer the devil. We are thankful for that, Lord. We rejoice in it, and I pray that it would help us understand why Jesus is worthy of all that we are. So bless our students now as they process this together in their groups. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.